Good morning. Welcome, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, book by book, chapter by chapter. And yes, we got through the book of Joshua, and we're looking at now the book of Zechariah. Very different in a lot of ways. I mean, we were introduced to it right off the bat last time. It's uh, it's it's one of these prophets, right? And so we've seen this before. There's some similarity with Isaiah, right? We, we went through Isaiah. There's a lot of symbolism in there. But um, wow, we just, we have these visions, right? Things like horsemen and horns last time. It, it's more like Daniel, really, right? Um, in that respect. And so that's something we also read. And then today, right, This uh, there's a vision of a man with a measuring line. So that also kind of reminds me of Daniel, right? Remember the, the, the writing on the wall, like you have been measured and found wanting, right? So what's going on with this? The genre feels like uh, something a little bit more like Daniel and Revelation here. So kind of unpacking the images, figuring out the symbolism. That's kind of the, the name of the game here, looking at Zechariah chapter two. And joining us, we have, again, Pastor John Lekumski from Southern Illinois, also one of the co-hosts, along with Pastor Matt Clark, of Wrestling with the Basics, which you can listen to 9 a.m. Central Time on Saturdays at KFUO. Also, you can just get the podcast of that as well. Welcome back, brother. So good to have you with us. And yeah, this is a this is so different from Joshua. Joshua is like you know just kind oh of a, a narrative of what we were doing and splitting up the land, and now this is this is a kind of otherworldly kind of by contrast. Yeah, I, I had I had forgotten that, that Zechariah really, as you said, it, it, it's like Daniel. It's this kind of apocalyptic uh, literature where, where you get these visions and it's like, what? <laughs> 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 and, and in all honesty, you know, with our Saturday show, we would just skip this. <laughs> oh well, let's forget that one. <laughs> right. Well, but, I, but I know glad, you. I know, you know you've been I, aching to to talk, take a crack at Zechariah, right? So that, that that's obviously why you <laughs> no, picked this one. No, not at all. But I guess it, you pick these out. Who picks these out? By the way, you pick these out. So anyway, well. Well, I was I was talking about the, this a little bit last time that you know I, um, what we wanted to do is in the first year um, of us all doing thy strong word together, kind of get a yeah. little bit of a, a sweep of things, and so you know, kind of starting off in, in numbers and making your way into Joshua, kind of telling the story through Isaiah, um, and then being in exile in Daniel, and then leaving exile with um, Zechariah and Ezra. And then, of course, going into John, it, it kind of you kind of sketch out the timeline, actually, just kind of as a survey. So this gives us a, a nice uh, sampling of things, kind of like a, you know, a sampling of all the things the Bible has to offer. And then, of course, next year, we'll kind of run it all over again and you know, do a gospel and one of the books of Moses and the rest of them. And, and, and boy, I really appreciate that comment, AJ, because. I think if you're going to understand this, you, you do need to know the context. Like you say, yeah, they're back now. They're back in the promised land. They've been set free from Babylon. Not everyone's back, though, and they're still trying to sort things out. What do we need to do? What do we need to get built here? And, and of course, so Zechariah is one of those prophets uh, that is trying to encourage them because, you know, I don't know if people realize when they got back to home, it's not like it's going to be good. No, it's difficult. Everything's been destroyed. The people around you don't really like you being there. 
and I imagine there were some uh, Israelites that thought, well, let's just go back to Babylon. <laughs> you know, at least we have right. our jobs and our places up there. So that's what this is. This is this is a, a prophet at least in these first chapters of encouragement, trying to tell these people, don't despair, don't lose hope. No, no, God's still in control, and, and even though it's very very difficult right now, uh, he will he will bless you. Things will work out for for your good. Yeah. You know? Right, right, yes, like a, a word of encouragement, and right, and we and we kind of considered that a little bit last time, you know, Zechariah, depending on how you parse it out, could mean something like man of God, but but maybe also like remembrance of God, like you know, hey, God is, yeah. hey, God hasn't forgotten about you guys, you know, despite uh, the I difficulties, like and, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yes, living up to the name there, but without any further ado, uh, let's go ahead and get into this. Would you say a prayer for us and for everyone listening today, and then maybe offer, Jimmy, just a couple of thoughts about how, how, how this measuring line connects with what we saw in chapter one. Okay. Well, Lord, again, uh, in fact, maybe, Lord, that's the blessing of books like Zechariah and chapters like this with all the strange images. Uh, it is a constant reminder that we cannot grasp any of this uh, through our own reason or strength, that, that the understanding of Scripture has to be by your Holy Spirit. So for AJ and, and myself, we pray an extra blessing to the Holy Spirit, and, and may these words come and, and, and be what they were intended to be for the people of, of Zechariah's day and, and intended for the people of our day, that it would be a word of blessing and consolation. In Jesus' name we pray. Uh, amen. Amen. Um, so so I tell you what, I, I'm going to be upfront with you and, and tell you that yeah, this was way too hard for me, so I cheated and I, I went to Martin Luther because he actually <laughs> wrote he wrote a commentary on Zechariah, and I'm figuring, yeah. well, you know, I'll, I'll run with him, and and even if it's something wrong, it, well, that wasn't my idea. <laughs> <laughs> Just blame that's it on Luther. Luther. I mean, that's me. I mean, that's, I, that I, seems I pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he uh, he has some interesting things to say about chapter two, and, and of course, you know, if you read if you read Luther commenting on the Old Testament. When it's all said and done, it's all going to be about Jesus. <laughs> mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. to the point where sometimes I'm thinking, I don't know. I'm not saying, <laughs> oh, okay. Who am I to argue? <laughs> right. So, right. So, you want so to then. Talk about right away about the guy, the well, man with the measuring line in his hand. Oh, sure, sure. Well, well, yeah. So, um, I mean, just just briefly, right? So, just taking stock of it, right? Yeah. We we saw, we see these these um this this horseman right like on this red tree and then like the a red tree yeah. red horse um and then there's these other horses um as as well um they're they're among the myrtle trees right and so th- this this just you know, reminds you of of course what we're going to see in revelation when, when we get there really soon um you know like the different horsemen you know this idea this represents power right and we, we talked about this yeah. back in joshua um you, you know like that the that the Israelites were supposed to actually destroy the horses and chariots of the peoples, not take them, right? Um, because it is a symbol of power and judgment um, and uh, violence over the earth. So, uh, right. So there's this this image of the horsemen and then the horns. We saw that in Daniel again, right? Like these uh, predatory horns, uh, the, the powers and the beasts that prey on the people of God. Um, and so, you know, kind of in the midst of all this, we, we saw back in chapter one, it was, where was it? It was back in, um, I'm trying to see like the verse that we read where he mentions it the first time. It was verse 16, where he says there, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line 
shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. So uh, there's in the midst of, you know, the the image of all this scary stuff, you know, there's this idea that that God has come back with mercy. Uh, there's going to be some salvation in the midst of all this, and this measuring line is announced as, as going out. So we're not really told what's going on with the measuring line in chapter one, but here we are in chapter two. It's going to be explained finally. And, and, and again, I, I think it's helpful if you remember the context that these people had come back to reestablish Jerusalem, reestablish the city, uh, the, the temple and everything, and things aren't going really well. In fact, the, the, the common cry is, man, it's never going to be as good as it used to be. Uh, and I kind of think that's the purpose of chapter two, to say, oh, man, you don't think it's going to be as good as it used to be. It's going to be far better than it ever was. Uh, so that's kind of the word of comfort. Yeah. Certainly. So, so uh, did, did you have like, is there anything that, that Luther says kind of by way of introduction to chapter two, or shall yeah. we just go ahead and get into it? Yeah, let's just do it. And, and because once we get this business about the guy with the measuring line, I'll read you a quote, which I thought okay. was kind of cool about what he thinks this man is with the measuring line. Oh, okay. 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 Looking forward to it. All right. Let's go ahead and take the first paragraph then in Zechariah chapter two, just one through five here. And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him and said to him, run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. So, so, so just a couple of things. Yeah. You, you had tied it in with Revelation, and of course, yes. that measuring line going on yep. Revelation, chapter 11, then I saw, I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those yep. who worship there. Uh, so yeah, like, like you said, this this is the kind of image that keeps. But but here's Luther's. I, I just love this quote. So Luther says, they talk about a man with a measuring line. That man is Christ, who has received the gift of the Holy Spirit from the Father, and who most surely measures the church. That is, makes small or great by means of very specific gifts of the Spirit, for He gives to each man as He wills, just as the Apostle says in Ephesians four seven, according to the measure of Christ's gift. So the church does not extend beyond the spirit of Christ. So uh, Luther is seen in this, uh, and I think you, you, we could argue this. He's not talking about the physical earthly Jerusalem. He's talking about the uh, the true Jerusalem, the Jerusalem of everybody who has faith uh, in God, and then also, of course, in, in Christ as well. So that's that's his take. That's that very Jesus, right? And of course, that's what he's yeah. going to do. It's always Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly, I think that we see that we see Christ here. Um, yeah. The, the question is kind of in what respect, or you know, maybe, maybe it's actually in several respects. It's it is interesting though, as you said. I mean, I mean, Luther is definitely looking ahead to heavenly Jerusalem, like Jerusalem as mm. an image, a symbol for the church. It's it's interesting yeah. to try to consider. Okay, what are we talking about in terms of like the people of Zechariah's day when there's like actually a, a real Jerusalem, like a physical one? That, I mean, that they're coming back to, um, and, and we know because like, we did look at um, Ezra a little bit 
that there there is this idea of uh, they have to like rebuild the rebuild the city they got to rebuild the walls right that was a big deal that like the walls took much longer to build than like than they were supposed to so that's actually very interesting <laughs> and kind of maybe even suspicious that you have this mention of uh, it being a, a a village inhabited without walls yeah. Um, it kind of, yeah. kind of, kind of like, you're like, Hmm, I kind of raise an eyebrow at that. And, and then, and then finally this bit about a wall of fire, right? Because as far as we're aware, right, there wasn't a, a physical wall of fire around the city of Jerusalem, um, you know, coming into the, the, the late five hundreds or like early four hundreds. <laughs> uh, no one, no one talked, I mean, no one wrote it down anyway. No one took any pictures anyway. Uh, but I mean, it, that is an image, right. That kind of, um, I mean, I don't know. For for me, it, it recalls it recalls the Exodus, right? Where where the Lord is is functioning as like this wall of of cloud and fire. Um, well, I mean, uh, as it was a pillar that that guides them through the wilderness, but also as as a wall, it seems to separate them between them and Pharaoh at that point where they're crucially, um, you know, getting into the Red Sea so that they can cross. So it, it seems like there's like a lot of connections here that really circle around the question of like, so what's this mean for the the physical city of Jerusalem that they're going back to? Well, and, and, and so AJ, I, I think you hit it right on the head. Uh, it, it obviously can't only be referring to the physical city of Jerusalem, because like you said, Ezra and Nehemiah were encouraging them, we got to get the walls built. That's, that's part of our assignment. And, and yet Zechariah said, well, actually you won't need any walls at all. There'll be so many people you couldn't wall them in. Uh, so I think that's a pretty dead giveaway that it is. It is encouraging. Don't despair. You're God's people. He's given you assignment. Let's do this. But but you you got to realize this is not the end of all things. It, it's not God's intent that we have a great earthly city of Jerusalem. That is His intent right here and now. That's what He's told you to do. But you got to remember the context is He's doing something far greater. That's what He's always said. It's always going to be more than Judah, more than Jerusalem. Um, yeah, and, and then, of course, I think you're absolutely right about the whole business of the fire and the cloud and, and, and all of that. Uh, I, I got a, just this beautiful psalm passage from Psalm uh, mm. 125, verse 2. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. And, of course, that mm. would be the comfort to the people of that day that, look, look, you're building walls but you got to know the walls aren't going to defend you. It's God who defends you. He's got a fiery wall around you right now. Right. And, of course, right. they comfort us that uh, surely pursue our human endeavors. That's what God has given us to do. We're going to sit back and say, oh, God's going to take care of us. No, God has given us these things to do, our vocations. But in the end, who's going to really defend us? Well, not that we do, right. but the Lord, yeah. Right. Well, and I think that that's, I think really that is the key theological point anyway about the walls, that that yeah. even as they're rebuilding the walls in, um, you know, the, the rebuilt city of Jerusalem, right, um, as they're coming out of exile from Babylon, they're, they're told to rebuild the walls, and it's really a matter of obedience, right? I mean, it's it's not that you know, like, oh, well, if you build walls, your walls will save you, right? I mean, look yeah. what walls did for the people of Jericho back in Joshua, right? Not much. So um, the point is, building the walls is, is a matter of obedience. You know, it, it, they're they're listening to their God. They're restoring the city. It's, a, it's really a matter of beautification. Like, I'm reminded in, in Revelation, 
there is this description of these extremely elaborate like gates, right? Like they're gigantic and they're like made of like huge pearls. And the point is not that the city needs walls with gates, right? For protection. It's just that they're beautiful, right? So it's the same kind of idea that, you know, okay, yeah, we, it's time to rebuild the city and it's time to rebuild the walls. Like stop dilly dallying about that. Um, but it's not because like we're going to trust in them. Uh, we're trusting in God and God is like a wall of fire. And so this is, this is kind of also maybe reminds me a little bit about that scene um, where was it Elijah or Elisha who yes, like beheld yes, yeah, the, yeah. the, uh, the, the chariots of, of fire, the, the angels, right. Who are all around, right. Who are invisible, but that, that's what was going on. Right. So God is really the one defending, even if we can't, even if we can't see it. Yeah, so here, here's here's what Elisha says to a servant who's about ready to give up all hope. He says, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. That's right, that's like right, yep. Said, sees the fiery chariots and the horsemen. That's, we were thinking the same line there, Second Kings 6, yeah. yeah. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, AT, so, so here's the point. There are things that we do. We go to church. We take the Lord's Supper. But we don't think it's because we sit in the pew for an hour. <laughs> no, right, no, right. that's not, no, that's not going to defend us from evil. But we, we know that there we learn, there our faith is strengthened, that God does surround us like a fiery wall. And, and every doubt we have is answered when it says, this is my body and blood given and shed for you. So you're right. It's not the, it, there's things that need to be done, but it's not the doing. Uh, it, it's the faith that, uh, and the love that uh, flows in those things, yeah, yeah. Right, and and if we had the eyes of Elisha, what would our church look like, right? Oh, I mean, like we, we we would look at the the bread and the wine, and we're like, oh, it's just you know, it's nothing exciting as far as wine goes. It's just a little you know wafer thing, you know. I remember like the quote always that it takes more faith to believe that that wafer is actual bread than to believe that it's the body of Christ, right? Um, you know, like, yeah. so you look at that with you know, the physical eyes versus the eyes of uh, Elisha that would see that, you know, this is like the fiery coal from the altar of God, right? That, that purified yeah. the lips of Isaiah, yeah. right? That, that, you know, these, these elements, they're not just these little pieces here, but you like, you would see that there is Christ there present, the risen Christ who, you know, has like the, the, the hair and the garments, you know, wider than any white that you've ever seen with the sword, of the spirit coming out from his mouth. I mean, like that's what you would see, right? If you could really see what's going on there spiritually. So I, I think, I think that's the the thrust here that, yeah, we're going to rebuild the walls. Uh, we we got to take care of Jerusalem. Um, but don't, don't go and think it's about the walls or something. It's, it's God ultimately. Yeah. So, so going back to the supper, what, what's the language of the literature? the liturgy rather with angels and archangels and the whole company of heaven. Right. Yeah. If you could only see what was actually going on there, right. it would just freak you out, you know? Yeah. And I, that's I right. Think, yeah. That's, man, I think that's a beautiful insight. I You're right. So we're, we're doing this, we're building the walls, but, but Zechariah said, Oh man, you got to see that it's more than this. You know, yeah. it's more than this. And, and it will right. be this city. It will be so large and so big. You, you can't have any wall. You couldn't build walls big enough. And, and, right. and uh, it'd be greater than the Great Wall of China, you would need. But that's that's okay because the true wall, like you said, is, is uh, Jesus Christ. He's the one gathering and protecting us. That's a nice thought, and you appreciate right. that. Well, well, and as you mentioned too, with like Revelation, where you actually get the measuring, right? Like where they actually try to measure 
the heavenly city, yeah. right? And it's like so gigantic. It's like going out into space. So, I mean, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to see that. But I mean, it's just, it's enormous. It's like the city is like, you know, a, a small planet, basically. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, so that, that it's, it's anticipating all this stuff. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we, we're, we're, we're looking at this stuff here. We're, we're appreciating it in the context of Daniel and Isaiah and Zechariah. When we kind of have all these tools, revelations, I think, really going to pop out for us here. But uh, let's, we've only taken a look at the first five verses here, and we, we still one, got the rest one of the thing, chapter. One thing, no, wait, wait, just be, before we leave, though. Okay, okay. Look at yeah. that last phrase, that last phrase, and I will be the glory in her midst. Yeah. That's what's going to make it a great city is because Jesus, God, is with us. That's what makes it so wonderful and great. And, and he is. He's with us now, even right now, as you and I are speaking to people. He's with these people, right? Where two or more are gathered my name, lo, there I am in the midst of them. I hope everyone listening to us has got a little, you know, maybe uh, a shock going down their, their spine or whatever to know that God is present with them this very moment with the same kind of glory and wonder that's been spoken of in this text. So, well, it is. I, I thank you for bringing that that to our attention here. This last part about about the glory, right? Because you know, yeah, glory can mean you know, like uh, you know, fame and and uh, tale of success and all this. But but glory is very often related to, as we saw in Isaiah, um, uh, power and presence, and very often in a negative sense, right? Like the glory of the king of Assyria, right? Uh, but oh, yeah. uh, as you were saying, also the the glory and the presence of God, and I mean, isn't that something that um, you know? It wasn't it wasn't too long ago when we celebrated um, Candlemas, the purification of Mary and the presentation of our Lord Jesus. What does Simeon say of our Lord Jesus? Calls him light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory of your people Israel, yeah. right? Yeah. And so yeah. there is the glory. Um, that that same idea here uh, being connected throughout. So certainly. And, 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 and AJ, it connects with what you said earlier. I, I hadn't thought of it that way. So see, if you glory in this earthly Jerusalem you're building, if you glory in this temple that you're rebuilding, if you glory in the great powerful walls, then you've lost the point. No, that's not the glory. <laughs> the glory is that you are, the Lord is in your midst. That's, that's the glory. Yeah. Amen. All right. Well, so there's there's the first five verses here. We're, we're very quickly, right? I mean, I mean, Zechariah is is kind of alarmed when he he sees this man with the measuring rod just kind of show up, right? And then they're like, they're, there's these angels and they're like running around. It's it's interesting how this is all just kind of very frantic and, and very quickly introduced, really. Um, and, and we just get that continuing on when we pick it up in verse six here. It's just there's just movement and we're just running around and. Uh, there, there's urgency um, that's, that's being spoken of here. So we pick it up at verse 6, continuing this thought. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus said the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become plunder for those who served them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. 
and many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. All right, so pausing there to, to save uh, the last verse, because there's, there's, there's a lot to that. It's, it's, it's one of those verses where you, it's like a proverb. You kind of just have to like say it and repeat it a few times and kind of like, uh, uh, like kind of meditate on it. But uh, yeah, yeah. So this, there's this urgency, this get up, escape, get out of Babylon. This feels so much like Isaiah, right? Like the way you're looking at, right? Like just oh, yeah. get out of yeah. there. There is no peace uh, among the wicked. There is no peace for the wicked. Do not rely on these idols. Um, and, and, and Isaiah was predicting this, right? That like the tables were going to be turned on Babylon and they would be betrayed by the allies who helped them establish their new empire. And, and so you have an application that uh, would actually fit that time period because not everybody's returned, you know, uh, and, and so it could very well be that Zechariah is addressing the people, the, the Israelites who are still in, in Babylon and saying, you know, God has given you the opportunity to come back here. You, you need to do that. Don't stay where you're at because, you know, things are going to happen that, that aren't going to be good. Um, and yet I think there's also probably a greater spiritual thing that is being spoken to all of us here in terms of if you're aware of the evil and the wickedness is, that's probably not where you want to remain. <laughs> but but here, here's the thing, I guess, yeah. I know you're, 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 the, you're the linguist. And, and I thought it was interesting. Now, now you, you're using ESV, aren't you, AJ? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I've got yeah, here, ESV. too. Hold on just a second. Just a second. Let's see what King James does. Okay, King mm-hmm. James has ho, ho, not like Santa Claus. And oh, the oh. NASB has ho there. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm talking yeah. about the up, up that is used. And, and it just, oh, right. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's hoy. In, in the uh, the Hebrew, which is usually not a good word, it's usually translated in, in those passages where there's a threat and a worry, you know, whoa, whoa, I think it's hot. It's, it's, uh, ah, right, um, right, okay. But but it sure. can also have a positive sense, too, because you were talking about Isaiah, and, and Isaiah uses it in, in that classic passage. i got it written out here. Uh, oh, 50, yeah, Isaiah 55, 1, where he says, come. But it's the same Hebrew word, hoy or woe or uh, ho. Uh, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come again, oi, uh, buy and eat. Come, oi, buy wine and milk without money, without price. So it's 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 kind of a strange word because it can, on the one hand, mean woe to you because of your evil. But on the other hand, I think uh, certainly in Isaiah 55, and I would think here too, no, it's, it's a good thing. Come, come, you know, leave the bad thing because you got the good stuff down here. Um, I don't know. What, right. what, what's your understanding of that? Uh, yeah, you know, you raise a really good point. And uh, yeah, I was, I was looking at my, my, myself, kind of trying to track with um, this word, as you were saying, because it shows up in Isaiah a lot. Um, yeah. and, and it yeah. seems like it seems like there's a little bit of a different sense here and there. Uh, I think I think we can kind of go into that a little bit more. We're a little bit over time for our break here. But uh, okay. hold on to that thought. We'll we'll come back to this, this Hawaii business. Um, until then, everybody, we're looking at Zechariah chapter 2 here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. Ah! 
These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Zechariah chapter 2, a chapter that we're seeing is just, I, I mean, it's so, it just reminds you of so many different things, right? We're, we were just talking earlier about, I mean, the Exodus, talking about Elisha, we're talking about Revelation. I mean, it's just, it just seems like this is, you know, uh, one of these books where you're tempted to skip it over because you're like, what's going on here, right? This seems obscure. Uh, <laughs> But it seems like it's kind of like the crossroads of the Bible, though. So, uh, you know, may, yeah. maybe it's maybe it's kind of important. And we're joined today by Pastor John Lukomsky from Southern Illinois, also co-host of Wrestling with the Basics program here on KFUO, 9 a.m. Central Time on Saturdays. So, yes, we were just looking at, because <clears throat> I appreciate this, you were looking at the Hebrew here. And, um, and, and speaking of the Hebrew, this is one of these weird situations where, um, the, the verses don't line up exactly. So if you are looking at Hebrew, uh, chapter two, verse one is actually chapter two, verse five, um, in the Hebrew, which kind of makes sense as we were saying, cause chapter one introduces this whole, um, measuring line business. Um, and then, and then, so it kind of continues that thought, but yeah, so this, there's this kind of new thought though, in our verse six, which is the Hebrew verse 10, um, but before, before we get into this, I, I do want to make sure I do thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, their website, lots of cool resources and stories about the good work they're doing all over the world. Speaking of just like we we're talking about just, uh, this, this very global universal picture that we have here, their website is lhfmissions.org. So their initials and then missions, cause they're all about, they're all about missions.org. All right. So. Yes. So turning to this, yeah, this word hoy, hoy, right? Um, it seems to be. It's interesting. Um, you you, you kind of joked like, you know, it's not, not ho, ho, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's funny, though, how just across, this is the, the, the one linguist nerd thing I'll say. Um, it seems like across languages, something around the lines of like ha or ho or hey, it seems like this exists in like every language on the planet, like as a way of getting people's attention. Um, and, sure. and, the, and the nuances and the functions are a little bit different depending on the context, but this seems to be just one of these things that I don't know, we're like hardwired to shout something like this uh, at people. So yeah, it's an exclamation of some kind. It does seem to have a negative connotation though. Um, I mean, by and large, but as you were saying, I mean, here it seems kind of sympathetic. So what's going on? I sort of suspect that this is one of those things that's like, Hey guys, whoa, bad stuff is going to be happening in Babylon. You need to get out of there now, right? Like there's this, there's this idea of, um, you know, you could, you could say this word to be like, you know, like, hoy, hoy, you are so toast, right? Like as, as a condemnation, <laughs> right? Um, yes, yes, but you could, yeah. you could be like, hoy, hoy, like it's time to get moving guys. Like don't stick around. Like do not turn back and look back at Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Like you just run, right? So I mean, it could just be like a signal of, of danger and an urgency. Um, 
it just depends on how it's used, whether it's being used in a friendly or a condemning way. That's that's my my feeling on it that I've kind of got as we've kind of gone through Isaiah, who, like I said, who used it so much. What do you think? Well, and I, and I see, I, I think that's what's really neat about this particular verse, because it works both ways. Uh, I have to think about Jesus, who always is going, woe to you, and woe yeah. about this, you know, uh, woe to you, that's fate, woe to you. Uh, but so, yeah, you stick up in the north, you stay there with, with the idolatry and, and, and you know, uh, everything that's against God. Boy, that's, yeah, you're toast. You're absolutely right. You're toast. And yet on the other hand, it's also an invitation because you don't need to stay up there. You can escape to Zion because verse 7, it's the same word, hoy uh, uh, again, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Evelyn. So it just doesn't make any sense. Why would you stay there where you know there's going to be harm and danger and evil? Why wouldn't you come to where you know you can, and I love the word escape, right? You're getting away from this. Right. Uh, and that's what the invitation is here to all of us. You don't need to stay with evil. We don't need to do that because you've got God who offers you his forgiveness and grace and will be a fire around you, you know. Uh, so, yeah, uh, yeah just, it's, a neat, it's a neat little word. And I, I appreciate the fact that, that we probably have that word in, in every language, something along those lines. Yeah, right. Uh, either as a word of warning or as a word of invitation to get away from what you're warning people about. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's not it's not hard to uh relate to, but yeah, it's probably it's probably good that the translator said like something like up up instead of like ho ho, right? W- wouldn't it come across right um in English? But <laughs> but anyways. Well, yeah. cuz that's what they said ho ho. <laughs> but they just said ho ho. Well, I mean, you know, the King James, yeah. I mean, that was that, that was uh kind of addressing people who spoke English at a, at yeah. a different time yeah. of time and situation, right? They, they talked I mean, a little bit different back then. I I understand. They didn't think uh, of Santa Claus either. Like we went right yeah, away. Well, yeah, that's right. That's good. That's that's a good yeah. point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so or maybe you know, is that so, what yeah, say? What does he mean when he says ho ho ho? Oh dear. Oh, <laughs> I dear. don't know. Um, <laughs> for another Bible study. <laughs> that's uh, that's right. Maybe you should. That's what. Maybe that's what you guys should be talking about this Saturday. Take up that question. Yeah. Well, you know, sorry, what, what, what does Santa mean when he said ho ho ho? That was yeah, that would be okay. Good. okay. Well, so so you got this word of warning. It, it's get you know very similar to Isaiah. Get out of there, right? Don't don't be uh, messing around with these these pagan people and their idolatry and, and everything that's going on. Like it's it's just not going to end well with them. So same similar um, warning that we have in Isaiah. And then what's interesting uh, then, like the next kind of part about this, you have this idea of many nations it comes up like sing yeah. and rejoice O daughter of zion for behold i come and i will dwell in your midst declares the lord so that's very similar to what we read in verse five right like the, i will be the glory in her midst the, the dwelling of god right okay but it then says and this is the part that almost seems like it, it doesn't mesh because okay the lord's going to be in their midst the, the holy presence of yahweh the god of israel and yet and many nations uh, but it says Many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. So, I mean, this this is just a really cool moment. This is like the, you know, like Rahab decides to defect from Jericho and join the people of Israel, right? This this is like the people, uh, the Kenites who, who join Moses and they go up in the Exodus with them. You know, th- this is in the same tradition. The people are going to come and they're going to become Israelites by adoption, and we already have 
the idea here in, in Zechariah. And uh, we talked about this when we looked at Isaiah um, and Ezra, that, that, you know, because of all the resettlements that were going on with the Assyrians who had just brought in all these people into the northern area, um, and then, you know, when the Babylonians, this is this is so interesting, right? Like when the Babylonians were uh, kicked out of Babylon, and now Babylon's controlled by the Persians, I mean, there were people from other places who went with the exiles down to Jerusalem. And it's like, you, you see the purpose of God in this, like they're going to get to become part of God's people also. And, and, and you know, see, Luther picks this up, and, and that phrase we had there in verse 6 where it says, spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens. And, and, and Luther quotes, uh, what is it, Matthew 24, where Jesus says, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect. Again, the same phrase, from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And, and, and so, yeah, see, that's the beauty of this passage. It is talking about their present day what they need to do in terms of Jerusalem. But, but he's really pushing them to see, but, but don't you understand, no, it's not just about reestablishing this little town of Jerusalem. The time will come when you measure Jerusalem, and it'll be so great that, you know, it goes beyond any earthly city. Uh, and, and it will indeed include not just Israelites, but it includes everyone. It includes all nations from the four, four winds. Um, you know, it's interesting because we did a study on Chronicles about a year ago, and it's interesting because you kind of get you get the sense that, the, you know, the author of Chronicles is writing to the people in this time. I don't know if people realize that, that Chronicles is actually written at the end of the Bible, the Old Testament, mm-hmm. rather. Right. Um, and, and, and as I read that, I got that same kind of sense that he's talking to people who think, no, it's just about us. It's just about reestablishing Jerusalem. We're going to get this little Israelite nation going on again. In fact, we don't want these other people. Like you said, there were other people that we don't want them. They don't belong right. here. They shouldn't right. be part of us. Uh, and, and it almost gets a sense in Chronicles 2. They said, no, 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 you don't understand. Yes, you have to rebuild the city. Yes, we're going to reestablish our nation. No, you're never going to have a king again because you don't need a king. But we do need a temple. we got things ready for the one who's going to come and call for disciples to be made of all nations. So, right. Uh, yeah. yeah, and it really is a it really is a tension. I mean, like, as you're as you're bringing out this this theme, I mean, like we saw it all over Joshua, right? Like again and again and again, the people are criticized for not driving out and defeating and devoting to destruction all of the all of the goyim, all of the Gentiles that are in their midst, right? I mean, and yeah. it, it sets it all up for what happens in Judges and all the sufferings that that's going to happen because they don't and because they don't do this. I mean, we talked about you know. Um, when we were talking about like Dan, right? Like Dan gets into all this trouble because they don't go and yeah. you know, defeat and take care of all those Gentiles, right? So there's this tension where it's like, yes, they're they're the enemy. And at least it, it, when Joshua was marching the Israelites around in that situation, yeah, that the thing to do was to, to defeat them and get them out of the way. But that you know, the big picture of it, right? That's kind of the minor theme, the major theme though, is their inclusion and blessing. And it popped up in, in Joshua, like I said, with Rahab, and you see it in these few places, right? Um, but yeah, th- this is where it's becoming clearer and clearer as we go through the prophets that, that th- this is what it's all for. It's ultimately for their, their, for their inclusion. And as you're saying that, th- this is just what sets us up so well for the New Testament. Well, and, and, you know, I think sometimes we, we forget when we read those stories about how they were going and, and uh, 
uh, dedicating everything to the Lord in terms of just going in and destroying everything. But on the other hand, there's any number of instances where if a, a city would say, okay, we give up, well, we, we repent, you might use that word, then no, that, then, then they didn't need to be destroyed. It was only the people that refused, who rejected. That, that brought that wrath upon them. But any, well, like you said, Rahab, anybody who was willing to accept Yahweh, that's okay. You don't have to be blood to, you know, but, but you do have to believe. That's, that you have to do, yeah. Right. So, so you, you have this just beautiful verse there in verse 11. Many nations shall join themselves to the Lord that day and shall be my people, right? So, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. it's balancing out what we saw in verse 8, right? Yes, the Israel is the apple of his eye, right? There, there's that, that kind of odd um, old phrase that we have, right? Showing uh, God's favor and how he delights um, in his people, but it's not as if that's it's exclusive uh, because other people can join themselves to his people. Um, and, and then so in verse 12, then, you know, he will inherit Judah wait, wait, as his wait, portion. Wait, wait, I'm, I'm sorry, AJ, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, can we go back to that apple of the eye thing? Because there was, there was a question I wanted to ask you about that. Oh, okay. So, so, the, so the verse says, For thus the Lord of hosts, after his glory, sent me to the nations who plundered you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. And there's one way of reading. I mean, obviously, the point he's making is that I'm going to take care of you, right? Behold, I will right. shake my hand over them, and I will. they'll be plunder, you know. So don't worry about these enemies, because I'm going to take care of them. But this phrase, he who touches you touches the apple of his eye, um, that could mean the Israelites, and, and by extension, then us, that we are the apple of his eye. But I wondered if it also couldn't be thinking about Jesus. Because hmm. I'm thinking about what Jesus says to, to Saul slash Paul. Saul, Saul, why hast thou persecutest me? That, 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 hmm. that, yeah. So Jesus is the apple of his eye. And when we suffer, Jesus also suffers, which is a thing of great comfort then, because we know who wins when Jesus suffers. Uh, I don't know. I just, because the first time I read it, I thought, well, yeah, the apple of his eye is about the Israelites talking about us and extension, but I thought, well, no, maybe he's, he's talking right. about Jesus. Jesus is the apple of his eye. And, and, and when we suffer, well, Jesus is also touched. Uh, um, well, anyway, I don't know. I just huh. throw that out. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know what? We really, yeah, we really should talk about it. Well, and there's actually another reason I also want to go back to verse 8 in, in just a second. But yeah, yeah so let's, let's talk about this apple of the eye thing, right? Because I know that that was always something that confused me. Probably confused me because when I was growing up, I, um, you know, I did like vacation Bible school and we'd do these songs that were like, like, like uh, it was like this fruit of the spirit song. And so it was all about fruits oh, yeah. and it was like in plants and stuff. And the, like, yeah. it was like pruning the branches. And I think there was something about bananas in there too. And then there's something about the <laughs> apple. Right. And so I was just confused because I'm just like, I don't know, we're singing about fruit and something about fruit, you know? So I, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, fair, fair, fair. So, <clears throat> okay. What's, what's the term in Hebrew, right? So the, the term in Hebrew, I think is just kind of a straight term for the pupil of the eye oh, yeah. and that, yes. yep, and that yep. the, <clears throat> like the, the, yeah, like the dark part of the eye and that this, uh, this would have been, um, I mean, actually, even I think the original under, I'm not positive, but I think this would have been the original understanding of the term in English too, that it would just refer, refer to your uh, pupil. And so um, I'm trying to like, see like uh, what, 
if I can like actually find the the uh, the Hebrew expression, but um, I maybe can pull it up in a second. But yeah, so so the idea I I think right is that you know how closely do you um, you know like guard your pupil right if anything comes like remotely near to it right you you blink you I mean you put your hand up you turn your face away I mean it's like you know, no one wants anyone messing with their pupils, <laughs> you know, no, like no, that's right. the, the, they, they are, they are, they're <laughs> very fiercely guarded. Right. I mean, like it's so much so, right. That it's like, it, just think about it. Uh, you know, I, myself, right. I, I have always struggled with things like eye drops and eye doctor appointments and, uh, contacts. It's just, here I am, I'm trying to put something on my eye and it's like every ounce of me is like fighting it. Like, no, stay away from that. <laughs> right. So uh, I, I think, so if I'm on the right track, I, I think this is like kind of like this kind of like protective metaphor. Like it's like, you know, if you're like the, uh, in kind of this old sense of the apple of his eye, it's like, you know, you're the thing that God just protects no matter what, does not let anything mess with you. And I think that's kind of how we then got the, um, the extended sense of like, you know, something that is, is very, uh, precious that that's you delight in that that you are very like uh, affectionate towards. Uh, th- I don't know. Does that does that mesh with like what you have understood and heard of the the term? I know this. I mean, it, it gets complicated because then like Shakespeare starts using the term and stuff like that. And I, I'm not really an expert once it gets to that point. But uh, yeah, your 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 thoughts. Yeah, no, no, I, I think you're exactly right. Uh, that, that's the idea of it. it, it like you said, it's the very, very center of the eye. That's the part that you would. And, and I'm, I've got glaucoma now, which means I have to take eye drops every, every day. So God keep you from that because you're right. It's so hard because you got to get it close enough. You don't want that drop falling on your eyelid. But there's just this kind of no, I don't want to get. Uh, and so obviously that that's the sense. And it is interesting. I wonder why they use that phrase, apple of the eye, because you're right. That's not what it says. There's no apple word in the Hebrew there. It, it is, well, it's kind of an obscure term, actually, but more than likely the sense is the very pupil of the eye. Um, so it's, that's an interesting thing where we're actually taking an English phrase and sticking it in to an English translation where it really has nothing to do with what the Hebrew says. But it is sense. It's something really, really, really important. Something that you really watch over very, very carefully. Um, right. And when you start doing your woodwork, and you better wear your have your protective goggles on. I'm telling you. <laughs> so, right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, and it's yeah. um, and uh, yeah, yeah, and you're right. The uh, the Hebrew term, like I, I was able to, yeah, pull it up. It's it's this um, it's it, it's babat eno, um, and it's you know, so the second second part is like just I, but this. Honestly, yeah, the 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 bavat part is kind of obscure. Um, yeah. It it kind of seems to mean like the little thing, like the little maybe the little child, the little ball, the little uh, the little thing. I, it's it's hard to kind of exactly know what it means. It it really it doesn't occur very um, often, no, like uh, no. with this exist uh, with this exact phrasing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it seems like the the idea though, right, is just despite both Hebrew and apparently English is weird ways of referring to this. Sometimes it's this, it's, it's your eyeball and you, you don't want anyone messing with it. So, um, so, so right. So there's this, uh, this preciousness idea. And of course it, it also just, uh, kind of very naturally ties to the idea of, um, you know, God like looking upon his people, right. Which is of course the a predominant metaphor 
when you talk about blessing, right. And like the, the ironic blessing, you know, like that the Lord would uh, look up upon you and shine on you, right. Like the, the gaze of God. So his, his gaze and his visage and his favor are connected um, extensively as metaphors kind of again and again uh, throughout the Bible. So, right. So there, there is this, uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and, and, and carrying that out then, so, so the, the phrase in Zechariah is, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Uh, and, and I think what's important to note is we do get touched, okay? Uh, um, that, that's the thing to note. It talks about the nations who plundered you. So if we got anybody listening right now that's having some struggles and trials, and probably most people are, you shouldn't react and say, oh, my gosh, something's wrong. You know, the Bible is quite well aware that in this world particularly, there will always be people who will oppose us and trouble us and, and cause us pain. Uh, and yet the comfort in that passage is just like you said, this very, very crucial thing that God has his face on. His angels watch over them, right? Isn't that, that's in the, the yeah. Bible there too. So, so, so there you go. Do not think because you've been touched or plundered, though you are still this, 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 crucial, crucial little thing uh, to God. Um, and, right. and he, you know, you got to realize that. But like I said, I'm wondering if it might not also be talking about Jesus, that Jesus is really the, the very, very precious one uh, of God. But, but if in that case, when we are suffering, we need to know that Jesus is suffering along with us, right? So I'll yeah. why persecutest thou me. So that's not a reason to despair, but a reason to rejoice that, well, that same verse that we're going to see again, that I'm in the midst of them. That's what he keeps emphasizing. Right. No matter what's going on, God is with you, and he will always be with you, and he will never abandon you because you are the, the pupil of his eye. I don't know the right. hell of his eye, yeah. So. Right, right, yeah, yeah, a a amen. That Well, I mean, just, and, and you, were, you were helpfully kind of getting us back to the kind of basic sense of it, that, yeah, uh, the enemies of God have... Uh, kind of like poked us in the eye, right? Um, but I mean, oh, really, the metaphor. Yes, yes. Well, well, yeah. I know. I think that's kind of actually like the basic sense of it. Actually, yeah. that the idea is, it's like this is what's going on, and so yeah, we, we've been you know attacked, poked, right? Um, but but I think the point actually is right. Um, he who touches you, right? Like you know, plundered you, touches you, like yeah. that's connected together. The enemies of God uh, touches the apple of his eye. I mean. Um, I wonder if, I mean, of course, it's, it gets ambiguous with pronouns, but if the idea is it's like they're poking God in the eye, which oh, is, yeah. uh, you, 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 you do that at your own peril, right? Like you're, yeah. you're, you don't want to do that. Like you're, there's going to be, uh, there's going to be a cost associated with that. There's going to be a penalty for doing that, um, for poking God in the eye, the kind of like just, uh, the kind of brazen, um, scoffing, uh, kind of, uh, just uh, irreverence of the thing. So, yeah, I, I think I think there is this idea. It just gets to the you know the kind of the the, the hoy hoy thing. Like, hey guys, you better like get out of the way because there's there's going to be uh, there's going to be recompense here. I, I like that. I like that analogy. Yeah, yeah. So you're poking God in the eye when you're messing with me, and that's probably not who you want to poke in the eye. <laughs> right, right. 
Well, I do want to, though, you, you raise a really good point about, okay, like, where, where exactly do you see the Lord Jesus in this? And I think that yeah. we've already seen there, there's a lot of ways, like just with the inclusivity among the, the, uh, the, the nations, the Gentiles, you know, Luther's suggestion that it's uh, the, the man with the, the measuring line, right? Like who, who holds the, the measures and the numbers and who holds uh, all of our, all the hairs of our head, right? In his hand, right? There, there's, there's that kind of idea. And I, I think that's good. I think that, you know, also it's this angel, right? Who seems to be speaking um, in verse eight, like after his glory sent me, uh, to the yep. nations yep. who plundered you, there is this. There is this angel who is being sent before him um, to to uh, to execute this vengeance and to establish his people Israel. Hmm. You know, we've seen this before. This angel of the Lord idea, and who is that? Uh, just we we only have like a half a minute here. I'm gonna read the last verse and just kind of maybe allow you sure. to kind of tie up these loose ends that we're kind of collecting here. This is verse 13. Then last verse. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. So, right, he's been yeah, poked and, in the eye, and uh, he's not going to stay silent very long. And, 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 you know, see, that you're right. Everyone who's listening, to this, go back and read Zechariah, and you get this, Behold, I will shake my hand over them, and, and I mm -hmm. will dwell in your midst, uh, and, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. That's Jesus, isn't it? All of those words are Jesus speaking. Yeah, I'm coming from the Lord of hosts. You've roused him by poking him in the eye, and he's going to come, and he's going to watch out, and he's going to protect and care for all of his people. Yeah, that, that, you're right. It, it, that's, a, that's actually Jesus' words to the people there in the day of Zechariah and his words to us, too. That No, no, don't worry. You're going to sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, because he's going to come and dwell in our midst, declares the Lord. That's what Zechariah says. So there you go. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, brother. A challenging chapter, right? Lots of, uh, lots yeah. of, you know, obscure stuff in here, but we are not ignoring Zechariah. We're seeing that all of these lines are all intersecting here, measuring lines uh, and the rest. So thank you so much and looking forward to having you on again soon, brother. Yep. Thank you, AJ. Everybody, that was Pastor John Lukomsky of Southern Illinois, also co-host of Wrestling with the Basics on KFUO, Saturdays at 9 a.m. Central. Moving on to Zechariah chapter three here. This is just so much, so many visions, right? Like what's going on in all these? We're not going to skip any of them. Until next time, everybody. I'm Pastor AJ Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.